Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition. We interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today's no exception. We have a great guest, but first, a quick chat about goal setting. Goal setting is one of the most important aspects to achieving anything in life. If you don't know where you're going, you might end up someplace else. I'd like to invite you to join me for three days on the Mexican Riviera for an intensive goal setting retreat so that you start your 2020 with energy, purpose, focus, and momentum. The annual goal setting retreat will take place over the first weekend in December. Registration is now open. You can register directly at victorjm.com events. That's victorjm.com events. Or send an email to goals at victorjm.com. That's goals at victorjm.com. We are back here on the weekend edition. We interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Rhode Island. Welcome to the show, Jim Murray. Victor, I appreciate the opportunity to be on the podcast. So Jim, you've been in property management for a number of years. You've done a bunch of different things in real estate, but maybe for the folks who don't know you well, why don't you give a little bit of your backstory and tell how you got into this crazy world of real estate investing? Yeah. So originally when I came out of college in 2010, I was very interested in investing in real estate. I wasn't able to land my first deal until 2013, which was a house hack on a four unit in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. And that's where I caught the real estate bug. And from there, I transitioned to trying a couple of different strategies from wholesaling to then buying my second four family and eventually into property management. But it's been a wild ride since 2013, for sure. Well, that was probably an amazing time to enter the marketplace because you know you had so much more upside than downside. You were probably buying, if not at the bottom of the market, very close to the bottom of the market, probably in many cases buying well below construction costs. So your timing really was the opportunity of a lifetime. Yeah. So my dad joke, used to, uh, always joked since I was a kid that sometimes it's better to be lucky to be, than to be good. And I, I was certainly very fortunate with my timing. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about one of your specialties, and that's house hacking. Not something we've heard much on the show. Um, how did you get into that? Yeah. So it was by chance. So when I first came out of college and I was looking for a multifamily, it was really to help me out with my student loans. So I know um, some millennial, I'm 31 years old. When I started, I bought my first house. I was 23 years old. And that was my first house hack. I first started looking at 21, but it was really because I was saddled with student loans and I was trying to you know, live outside of my parents' house for hopefully free. And honestly, I had no idea the con- what the concept of house hacking was. And it just kind of happened. I found the right realtor. Uh, he brought me out to a multifamily property that candidly in the beginning, I wasn't that interested in. I joke that it's the ugliest building in Pawtucket that I own, but it produces really great cash flow. In the beginning it, with the property, it is a four unit building and there are two large units and two smaller units. And my friends all used to make fun of me because I actually resided in the smallest unit in the building in order to produce better cash flow. The basis of house hacking is how do you purchase a building and essentially live for free? In my four unit, I was able to generate income living there. So not only living for free, but generating additional positive cash flow in order to then lever into a, a different property. Yeah, I love that. You know, I got, I got once invited to be on a radio show and the the hook for the that particular radio show was, well, if you can't afford to buy a house, you should buy two. And it's exactly that. that. It's exactly that. Use the income from the rental property to subsidize your own 
living arrangement and multiply your path to financial freedom that way. So I'll jump into the numbers quickly for the listeners to provide some perspective. I purchased my first four unit for $140,000. It was two three-bed units, a studio, a one-bedroom unit, and a garage. My mortgage on that property, principal, interest, taxes, and insurance was $1,040 monthly. I got in there. It cost me $10,000 to get the property up and running. So my all-in cost is $150,000. I I used a Home Depot card in order to buy materials and put in the labor on my own. But the first unit that I rented, I rented out for $900 a month. And that's when it kind of clicked. My second unit, I was able to rent for $975 a month. And then that's when I got really excited. I recognized that you know, with a multifamily, the only costs aren't just the mortgage. There are going to be some utility costs involved, but that really level set for me that this is this was really exciting, something that I want to continue to do. I love that. And so you've graduated. You didn't just do this once. You've done this repeatedly, right? Yeah. So the cool thing is when I purchased this property, I used a program very similar to FHA. There's a local housing agency in my area called Rhode Island Housing, and they had a portfolio loan where if you put 5% down, you had a credit score above 700, you didn't have to pay PMI. So that actually saved me a couple hundred dollars a month. Um, And if there's any listeners that are dialed in, um, PMI is private mortgage insurance. So that's essentially if if the investor goes belly up and they can't pay, then the, the housing agency will be able to recover the cost of the loan. Once I got the property stabilized, the market turned um, because like you said, Victor, I bought really towards the bottom. Two years later, I was able to switch my mortgage from an FHA type product into a non-owner occupied product. And that allowed me to buy a second house hack with owner occupied financing. So coming in with that low dollar down payment in order to produce maximum leverage on my capital. Let's talk a little bit about the human elements of house hacking. Obviously, this is not just a place to live. It's also a project. It impacts your family. What do the wife and kids, if you have kids, have to say about it? Yeah, so I have a wife and a child now. And fortunately, I didn't have a child when I was living in my first house hack. I put in a ton of time there. My now wife was my girlfriend at that time. And it's it's tough, right? Because with you living in the building and the tenants knowing that you're the owner, it can be a little bit more difficult. So I can remember my first year, I was in court two days before Christmas, and it was my first eviction case, and I was really sweating that. But my approach to owning the multifamily building and house hacking was always, it's a business, right? So the tenants sign a contract to pay your rent, and you have to hold them accountable. Some house hackers, they'll tell folks that they're just the property manager, not the owner. I think it depends on what your strategy is. In my sense, I always want to tell the tenants that I was the owner because when they saw me out there clearing the snow or I replaced the roof on the garage or working through some of the maintenance items, they had a deeper level of respect for, the, for what I was doing with the building and they could see the positive progress that I was making and that allowed me to retain better tenants. That makes an awful lot of sense. You know, one of the things that you know, we talk about property management and I think it's a little bit of a misnomer because the property itself is an, is an inanimate object. There's nothing to manage apart from you know repairs and maintenance. Correct. But property management is really more about managing the tenant relationship. And you kind of alluded to that at the beginning. Yeah, it's really about managing personalities. And that's something that I wasn't cognizant of on the front end, right? So I bought the building and I started placing tenants, but I quickly realized that 
you have to pay attention to the the tenant demographic in the building. And I'm, I'm saying, you know, within fair housing guidelines, but you have to pay attention, you know, if you're moving in young professionals and families in the building, it might be a difficult mix to manage as well because of that human element. Absolutely. So you've gone through the full spectrum. You've had great tenants, you've had evictions, and you're still in the property management business. So you've survived. Uh, what's that been like? Yeah, so it's it's up and down. I would tell you that not all days are great, but I enjoy um, more than I than I dislike. But at the end of the day, it's all about producing that that positive cash flow and passive income via real estate. So started with my first four unit, um, and I own a property management locally to property management company local to Rhode Island, where we now manage seven hundred units. So we've been able to scale pretty quickly over the last few years. So you're in Rhode Island. I think you're also, you said you're in Southern Massachusetts as well. That's correct. Yep. So we've recognized an opportunity in Southeastern Massachusetts where there's an emerging market where it's produced a huge opportunity for our company. If you had words of wisdom, what would be the top three mistakes that you see rookie property managers or even folks who are self-managing? What are the top mistakes you see people make? Yeah. So number one, I think folks are too nice to their tenants. They're too concerned about losing their cash flow. But at the end of the day, you've got to treat your tenants fairly, but you got to be a little bit tough, right? So you want to make sure that you set the rules correctly up front. Now, I'm not saying that you should be in your tenant's unit once a week, making sure that you know the laundry is picked up off the floor and, and they're mopping the floors, but hold them accountable. Because when you stop holding your tenants accountable, that's when your cash flow is going to be impacted. So if you have a problem tenant in the building, Take care of it up front. The other tenants are going to recognize that, and that's going to help you produce a much more cash flow positive investment and help you retain better tenants for the long run because that's the name of the game long term steady cash flow. It's an interesting thing. If I, it made me think of when Rudy Giuliani was mayor of New York City and he was arresting people for littering, and the effect that that had on the city was to drive much more violent crime, much more serious crime out of the city as well because. The message was, if you cross the line here for littering, then you're going to face something much harsher if you try and do something that you know is obviously more egregious. And it's a similar concept that when you create a structure, uh, you get what you tolerate. Yeah. So I had a tenant who uh, called me a cheap and then a couple of expletives after that because I charged him a tw- or I fined him $25 for not taking his garbage out. And I said, hey, listen, you're not taking your garbage out could cause a massive issue. And also it doesn't set the right tone for the other tenants in the building who are taking care of their responsibilities. He paid me the $25 and he never forgot to take the garbage out again during the the rest of his tenancy. So similar story about Rudy Giuliani, it's all about holding them accountable and it's really going to help you out on your investment journey. I love it. If folks want to learn more and get in touch, what's the best way? The best way would be via Instagram. So my handle on Instagram is rei cash flow king. So it's real estate investor, REI cash flow king. Shoot me a direct message and I'll answer any questions that you have. Fantastic. So for the listeners at home, definitely reach out to Jim at REI cash flow king on Instagram. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your day. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>